Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Last week, Pastor Andrew kicked off a new series for us that focuses on Luke chapter 15 and the three parables that Jesus told about the things that were lost and eventually found. Last week was the parable of the lost sheep, how the shepherd would leave the 99 just to go and seek that one lost sheep. Pastor Andrew so beautifully shared how to be in the protection of God, we must also be found in the direction of God. But sheep are sometimes stubborn. We're not quite the smartest animals, and sometimes we wander. And the good shepherd is always faithful to come looking for us. Aren't you thankful that that Jesus Christ just continues to search and seek you out? Amen? And so today we are going to look at the second parable in Luke chapter 15 about the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost coin. Throughout the years, I have taught my family that when we open a card, if someone gives us a birthday card or a Christmas card, that when we open that, if there's anything of value inside of that card, a gift card, money, check, anything of value, That when we open that, we immediately take that valuable content out and we put it in our pocket or we put it in our wallet. The the girls, we teach them, you know, Mandy teaches Kendall to put it in her purse. Mandy puts it in her purse. Because you know what happens is that very easily you can forget what's in that envelope. And over time, you may don't want to keep all of the cards that you receive. And so you just start discarding them. And, and then you could easily throw away something that is of value. You know, it, it would break my heart to throw away a P.F. Chang's gift card, you know, because Mandy and I love to eat at P.F. Chang's. We love Texas Day Brazil. And so it would break my heart to know that I threw something like that away. I'm dropping hints right now in case you don't know. Okay. On our wedding day, we had a gift table at the reception. And our wedding guests were obviously bringing different gifts, various gifts and envelopes and and placing them on that table. I was so overwhelmed with the beauty of my wife on that day that uh, I didn't even notice there was a table, to be honest with you. No, seriously, I didn't. I I, I didn't know there was a table. And uh, but people were bringing it in and I I, I wasn't looking over there. I guess maybe I had this reassurance. You you know, over 400 people showed up to our wedding. Now, some of you think, man, y'all were popular. No, we had a brand new church and we were the first wedding in the new church and everyone wanted to see it decorated for a wedding. So, so help me God. That's honest. I, I believe that's why people showed up to our wedding. And so with 400 plus guests showing up for your wedding, I guess I just had this reassurance that there's going to be some good gifts over there. And so I didn't even worry about that table at all. And we went on our honeymoon, and and when we left for our honeymoon, we had some friends and family members that were responsible for making sure that all of the gifts, all of the envelopes, and everything that was on the gift table, to make sure that that all went back to our house, to this spare bedroom that we had, and that's where they would leave it. And so we went on our honeymoon. We were gone for a week, and when when I got back to work the next week at at, at my office, um, I was working a secular job, then I wasn't in ministry. When I got back to the office, the manager of the, the facility I was working in, he called me into his office. And he was a good friend of mine. And, and he said, hey, man, did you, did you open up that, that envelope from our boss? And I said, no, I don't remember seeing an, an envelope from our boss. He said, yeah, he said, I watched him. He said he got up from his table at the reception. and He took it out of his pocket. And he said it was, it was kind of thick. He said, I could see it. And he, he went over and he laid it down on the table. 
And he said, let me tell you what was in mine at, at our wedding. And he began telling me that there was a few thousand dollars in cash in this envelope. And that's what the, the owner of the company we worked for, that's what he was known for. That he would just put cash in an envelope, lay it on the gift table, and, and that's, that's how he would give a gift. And, and so I couldn't wait to get home because I knew that we still had some gifts to open. And so we, we got home, or I got home that day, and I'm telling Mandy all about it. And she says, I don't remember seeing an envelope. I've opened all the envelopes, which she would do without me, of course. But uh, she said, I've opened up all the envelopes, and, and I don't remember seeing that. And sure enough, we, we looked, and we searched, and we dug, and we, we, we've never to this day found that envelope. Now, we've moved a few times. And you know how you have those boxes that never get open when you move? You know, there's certain boxes in your attic or in your garage or maybe even under your bed that they, they never get opened. And we've moved many times since then. We've lived in, in, in three or four different cities since our, our, our wedding day. And some of these boxes travel with us and they never get open. And, and sure enough, I, I dig through those boxes when we move just to see if that envelope will appear somewhere. Because I, I, I can't imagine how many thousands of dollars were in that. And I was a, a young assistant manager. I know that he would have blessed us that day. But still to this day, we have no idea where it's at. And, and I'm still searching for it because cash is cash and it never expires. Amen. 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 Luke chapter 15 is an interesting piece of scripture. Jesus used parables, as Pastor Andrew told you last week. These were made-up stories and scenarios to teach about the kingdom of heaven using layman terms. And so Jesus would use this method, and and I believe this method was probably the original life application Bible. I mean, it really just put it out there for the, the layman to understand. For the average person that had a hard time understanding the principles of heaven, Jesus would use parables to make it plain and simple. And he would create these average fictional characters and their activities, not lying to the people, but just to share a point. And he would create this story. He was a good storyteller. And he would create this story. And and as the stars of the story, it was very average people, very average things in life, just so that he could relate to the common person. This is one of the strategies that I believe that we have used here at DCC that has made us successful in, in ministry. And the fact that you're sitting here today, you are, are one of the reasons why I believe this church is successful. And, and we believe in this, this deep theology with a strong scriptural foundation. There is no doubt about that. And even today, we'll dig deep. But we teach biblical truth. No one can ever accuse us of not teaching biblical truth. But we also understand that there are moments that the Word of God must be taught in a way that allows the everyday mind to comprehend the kingdom of God and how it is applied to everyday life. And so this is a very intentional method for us. We understand that you don't have to be a theologian to learn the Word of God. And Jesus was a master at this, and and his parables are classic. When you hear the parable of the lost sheep like you did last week, you hear that, and and it's just a classic. It's timeless. It is passed down through the ages. And even today, the parable of the lost coin, you're going to find that that there's parts of this that you're, you're going to remember details about this, and then we'll pull some new ones out also. But these parables are classic. But there is something different about this particular moment in Luke chapter 15 because this is the only place in recorded scripture where Jesus teaches three parables in a row. It's the only place that you'll find it. 
And they all seem to relate to the same subject. Something was lost, and it was eventually found. His audience was a mixed group. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This was a mixed group. Jesus was surrounded by this large group of irreligious people that were pressing in. They were coming close to hear Jesus share his parables. They wanted to hear his stories. And so standing there as as he is teaching and these people are pressing in, these sinners are pressing in. They're in that group. He has the sinners. He has greedy tax collectors that that any good Jew would not like because these people were were stealing from the Jews. And and, and so they would not like tax collectors. And they always grouped them in the group with sinners. It was always sinners and tax collectors. These people that were pressing in, they were the unconvinced. They had not completely bought into the kingdom of God. They had not completely bought in that he was the son of God. For many of them, Jesus had not even revealed that knowledge yet. These people were the undesirables. They were spiritually confused. They were morally bankrupt. These are not the people that you want your children hanging out with. And so as a good Jew, as a God-fearing Jew, these are the people that you would avoid in life. And so he's teaching this, this, this group of people that are pressing in, the sinners that are pressing in, and then standing off to the side, listening to every word that he is saying, you have the religious leaders, you have scribes, you have Pharisees, and they're listening close because they want to find something that they can, that, that they can condemn him with. And so they are complaining among themselves over there that Jesus is meeting with those those people how dare him meet with those people with those sinners and just being around this group of people Jesus was assigning value to these outcasts and these people didn't like it the religious did not like that he was assigning value to these people why was he caring about those sinners so Jesus does something that was not common practice for him at least not in recorded scripture He teaches not one, not two, but three parables in a row on the same subject. Something is lost and then it is found. You see, usually in his teaching methods, Jesus would perceive some misconception in the confused minds of his crowd. And and he would then tell a story. He would tell that parable that we speak of in a way that they would understand it in order to bring clarity to the subject. And after he would teach that parable, apparently people would get it. And and then he would move on to the next subject. And as he would teach on that subject, if he perceived that their confused minds were not getting that, then he would go into another parable to explain the kingdom of God in, in a very layman term, in a very layman way. But not on this day. Something, something got in his crawl. You know what that is, right? Something messed with Jesus this day. Something got his attention as he's teaching these sinners about being lost and being found. And you've got these religious mindsets over here that are complaining because he's hanging out with the sinners and he's leading them. He's guiding them. He's adding value to their life. And something gets in his spirit and Jesus, he, he just, he just kind of prepares a, a mental sermon series right there in that moment, probably called lost and found. And he goes through all three weeks in one setting. 
Now, I'm not going to do that to you today, okay? We've still got another week of this series, okay? We're going to wait on that last parable. I'm just going to deal with one of them. But Jesus doesn't do that. In that moment, he decides, I'm going to teach you about the lost sheep. I'm going to teach you about the lost coin. And then I'm going to tell you about the prodigal son. Things that were lost and eventually found. And he begins teaching them this sermon series. And as we saw last week, the first parable was for the benefit of the sinner, the lost sheep. That no matter how far you've wandered off, Jesus is looking for you, and that's what he's teaching to these sinners. Jesus is looking for you. He is seeking to save that which is lost. But without taking a breath, Jesus, hearing their murmurings over here, ends the first parable, and he goes directly into the second parable. Now, I almost picture Jesus. The Scripture does not tell us this. But I almost picture Jesus turning his attention from this group of people, the sinners, and I see him turning his, his body towards this group of religious people over here. Because if you read it closely, you will understand that the second parable is not aimed at these people. It's aimed at these people. Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10 or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this is an extreme story. Much like last week, where, where you learned that the shepherd throws a party for the returned sheep. This is a coin. And this woman finds the coin in the story that Jesus is telling. And when the coin is, is, is found, she calls her friends and neighbors over and they party again. It's a party for a found coin. You could probably go to my house right now, reach down in the cushion somewhere and find a coin. And we could party about it, right? It's interesting that in this parable, that Jesus chooses a woman as the lead actor of this story. And you have to understand how significant this is. Because it's noticeable at how women's rights had declined from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I don't want any of you to get concerned. This is just a moment in the sermon. It's not what the sermon is about, okay? So just relax. But you can read the Old Testament and you can see... The, the rights that women had in the Old Testament, and you can see that there's a decline in those rights in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, women participated in every aspect of community life except for temple priesthood. That's the only thing they didn't, they didn't, uh, 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 they were not represented in. And, and so women were engaged in, in commerce. They were engaged in real estate. They were engaged in, in even physical labor in the temple. They were included in temple worship. They played music. They sang. They prayed. And, and numerous women in the Old Testament were used in leadership roles. We see that. In the Old Testament, they were, they were, there was a judge that was a woman appointed by God. We know that there were a, a, a number of prophets that were women in the Old Testament. And by the time we reach the New Testament, the religious men that were leading Israel and, and during that age, they had reduced the role of women significantly. Women were separated from men for public and religious life. 
And in the first century Middle East, not just Israel, but, but society in general in the Middle East, first century, they did not place any value on women. And so for Jesus to address these scribes and Pharisees and to make a woman the star of his parable, she's the star of the show, this was unheard of, and I'm sure it was ruffling some feathers over here. Because these religious men, they don't like that at all. And, and though I do believe that Jesus was challenging the social injustice and discrimination of women, I want us to dig deeper than that. Because you have to also understand that there is a much deeper meaning for this parable and what Jesus was trying to convey. I, I think he, he, he chose his subject matter very carefully because it was kind of a shock and awe campaign. Let's go in. Let's get their attention with something. It's the reason why your pastor at times has used phrases like spiritual pimp slap from the pulpit. It just gets your attention. See, some of you are about to go to sleep right then, and I just got your attention. I just got you back. You're like, what? What did he just say? Jesus throws the word woman in there just to get their attention, but there's something so much deeper than just a shock and awe. It's, it's so much more than that. I want to bombard you with a number of verses real quick. You can try and write them down if you want to, and they will be on the screens, but, but I want you to find the common thread, what, what, what it is about these verses that, that, that all relates to one another. Listen to this, Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Isaiah 54 and 5, for your maker is your husband. Ephesians 5 and 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Revelation 21 and 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 2 Corinthians 11 and 2, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Church, you have to admit this with me. Time and time again, God paints the picture of the church being the bride of Christ. That's how we are referred to. Men, I know it's uncomfortable for us, okay? I get that. But when, when he looks at us, the picture that he wants to paint, paint and the dedication that he has to us, he paints it in such a way that he is our husband and we are his bride and he is willing to go to the extremes to find us. He is willing to go to the extremes to redeem us. That is our husband. That is the church's uh, uh, Jesus Christ, the picture of that husband and we are his bride. And I want you to understand that this is not a coincidence that Jesus turns to these religious leaders and the, the, the star of this parable is the woman who lost the coin because the woman who lost the coin is the church she her the bride and he looks at them and he's talking to them saying we've got a problem here there's an issue with the church as we know it now it's important for me to point out to you that she loses the coin in her own house 
This is different than the sheep, right? The sheep wanders off and, and it's out in the wild. It's wandering in the pasture some, somewhere. So the shepherd leads the 99 to go find a, a sheep that has wandered off away from the herd, okay? But, but this woman loses the coin in her own house. She didn't lose it at the market picking up some groceries. That's not where the coin is at. He makes it very plain that the coin was lost in the house. She didn't lose it in her car. It's not under the seat somewhere. She, she didn't lose it when she reached into her pocket to get her car keys out and, and it happened to fall out on the sidewalk and, 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 and she didn't lose it that way. She didn't lose it in an irresponsible way where she gambled it away or maybe made a bad investment. No, this coin is lost inside the confines of her own home and Jesus was telling these religious people that it is possible to get lost inside the confines of the house of God. I didn't expect any amens right there. Church, it is possible for you to come to church, for me to come to church every week, sit on the, we don't have pews, we have very hard chairs, but sit on very hard chairs and, and, and be here every week and still be just as lost as a sinner out there. We can speak all of the lingo, the Christian lingo that we want to. We, we can layer it up. We know what we're supposed to say. We can raise our hands in worship every week. You can amen the pastor. You can go through all of the motions and be just as lost as those religious leaders because they didn't get the heart of God. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They didn't understand that which was lost. He came to find it. They did not understand that. But this parable begs us to dig a little deeper and find out the significance of this lost coin. Why was this so important? What's the big deal? I mean, it's one coin. She had nine more. What's the big deal? This one lost silver coin was equivalent to one day's wage. Now, there's a variety of people in this room from all different walks of life. And for some of you, that's not a big deal. One, losing one day's worth of wages is not a big deal. For others in the room, you're going to lose everything if you lose one day's worth of wages. So how can this parable relate to everyone in the room? Is this really worth the trouble? When we read of how diligently she sweeps and begins searching for this coin, think, think about this. She lights a lamp. Therefore, we know it is nighttime. It is during the night, she lights a lamp and she begins to search through her dark house, sweeping the whole house in the middle of the night. My wife would give up a week's worth of wages just so she wouldn't have to sweep the whole house in the middle of the night. She is looking for one coin in the dark, cleaning the entire house and, and when we hear that, we immediately assume that she is some elderly woman, maybe a widow, that needs that money to live on. When I first read this story, that's what I was thinking. One day's wages can go a long way for a poor widow. But what you have to realize is that there was so much more at stake than just one day's worth of wages. The subject of the parable was most likely a woman wearing an ancient Eastern coin headdress. This headdress was a type of dowry given to this woman by her father on her wedding day. And yes, 
It was made with ten coins that were sewn onto the headband that she would wear. And she would be presented with this headdress on her wedding day, and she would wear it from that moment on. The fact that these coins were silver, it explained the social economic status of her family. She was free to use those coins to pay off bills and to buy food, but she would always have to have the permission of her husband before she could do so because it also represented his economic status. And so if one of the coins were were missing, like in this picture that we're showing you now, it meant that hard times had come and, and they had to use that money for something. If a coin was missing and and her husband knew nothing about it, then it meant that she was up to no good. She was doing something behind his back. So there's much more at stake here than just a day's worth of wages. This woman's reputation was on the line. You want to know why she she lit a lantern and she began looking underneath Furniture and sweeping the entire house is because there's a lot of explaining to do Her reputation is on the line. So she turned the house upside down diligently searching for that lost coin. I get worried church that We have the loss sitting right here inside the walls of the church and we don't even recognize it It's so easy for us to get lost inside of our own self-righteousness and our personal convictions. And listen, I am a man of strong personal convictions. If you know me, you know that. There are certain things in my life that are just off limits because of my strong personal convictions. However, if you cannot back those personal convictions up with strong sound scripture, then you need to leave it as a personal conviction. That's where it has to stay. It's easy for us to get lost in our own self-righteousness just as those scribes and Pharisees and we don't see or care for the world around us. They were so concerned that Jesus was talking with sinners. They were so concerned that he would associate himself with them. Never once does the Bible say that it changed Jesus. Jesus didn't become like them. If anything, he was calling them out of their lifestyle. He was changing who they were lost and the good shepherd was finding them. But the bride of Christ, the church, was ignoring them. Didn't have time for them. Jesus was criticized and ridiculed for being near sinners. This might be the last time you come here, but I'm just going to say it. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like the religious people that condemn Jesus for being their sinners. The beauty of this story is that the woman, the church, found her lost coin, found her purpose, restored her reputation. She found it. And she called her friends and neighbors over to celebrate the found coin. And what she's celebrating is that restored reputation. Church, we need to restore the reputation of the church. That's what we need. We need to be about lost people. I love you. 
I love the fellowship that we have. And, and, and listen, to, it's one of the core values here at this church. It's dependence. We learn to depend on each other, and I never want to change that. But when we forget about discovery, when we forget about introducing people and giving them a chance to discover Jesus Christ, when we forget about that and we leave that out of the mix, we have become nothing more than a social club. And that is not what God has called us to. And Jesus was looking at the religious people and saying, you are so caught up in yourselves that you don't even see these that are lost. And the reason I came is to minister to these that are lost. And whether they realized it or not, Jesus was teaching them this parable. And the woman finds the coin. And in essence, what he is saying is, even for you religious people, there's hope for you. You too can be found. And when you are, we will celebrate that. If week one was about the sinner, the lost sheep, week two is definitely about the lost church. It's about us finding our identity in Christ and becoming like Christ. And I have battled with what I'm about to share with you. Man, I have battled this. But I feel it's important for you to understand. And some of you, you're not even going to agree with my with my stance on this and you're going to miss the heart behind it but I'm, I'm asking you just please open open your mind and hear the heart of God in all of this last month we received an email at the church office very wisely it was forwarded to me and, and I was asked how do you want us to deal with this to which I responded because of the subject matter of the email, I said, let me respond personally. Because I, I knew that whatever was said has the potential to blow up. It has the potential to, to hit the news. It has the potential to, to be thrown all around social media. I, I understand that. And so the first thing I did is I, I prayed and I said, God, how will you have me respond to this? Because ultimately, there's someone that needs to be reached in this. Help me. And so we received this email just to info at destinycommunitychurch.org. It wasn't addressed to me. It was addressed to anyone that would answer. And here's what it said. I am wondering what your views are on... I'm wondering what your views are on homosexuality. I am gay and I was saved in 2008... I love Jesus and I'm looking for a home church who will be accepting of me. Thank you. I'm not going to share any names, but this is the email that they sent. So rather than put the pressure on one of our staff members, I decided that I was going to respond personally to the subject matter. Now there's two ways that I could respond to this. The first one is I could pour out scripture and I could prove my stance on why I believe what I believe. And some of you may not even believe the way I believe. I'm not pushing that on you right now. But I'm, I, I was asked, where do you stand? And I could have poured scripture out on them and like, like heaping hot coals and, and fueled the fire. Or I could try to get close enough to them to become an influencer in their life. Jesus ate with sinners and the religious people hated him for it. He, he called the sinner out of their lifestyle, but had a loving and caring way of doing it. And he would tell them stories. And so here's my response. And, and for some of you that have a, a, a struggle with, with your stance on this, this may help you. 
But for others in the room that you just have a religious, legalistic mindset, this is definitely going to help you. And so here's my response. And again, this may be the end of me. I have no idea. I said, good morning, and I called her by name. Thank you for reaching out to us. I wanted to personally respond to you because of the sensitivity of this subject. I don't usually prefer answering questions like this through email as it is hard to hear the heart. I will do my best and would love an opportunity to talk in person one day. I guess the easy answer to your question is yes, we are accepting of you or anyone else for that matter. I pray that we would never reject anyone based on their lifestyle. I know that our church is made up of a variety of people from all walks of life. We certainly have other homosexuals at our church, and I would not change that. And listen to me, if that's you today and you're in this room, I want you to know I love you, and I love you being at this church. I continue with this. The more difficult answer is probably where do we stand on the subject. And this is where it gets tough. I pray that you can hear my heart on this matter. Although I do see homosexuality as sin, I don't pretend to elevate it over any other sin. I too have my own struggles. God knows that our church is filled with sinners. We're all on a journey of grace. The issue with me is not whether or not someone was born that way. If I read my Bible correctly, we were all born sinners. I just believe that the grace of God refuses to leave us that way no matter what our sin. With that said, you will not receive condemnation from me. Your walk with God is just that. It is your walk with God. As the pastor of DCC, I will not tolerate anyone treating you any different because of your sexual preference. Honestly, our church is very loving, and I believe that you will feel loved should you choose to attend. I know that I would be honored to meet you. I pray that our different views will not be a stumbling block. I need you to know that I am not against you. I am thankful that in 2008 you found the love of Jesus, whether it's at DCC or somewhere else. I pray that God leads you to a church that you can grow in Christ Jesus. Just to be clear, our doors are wide open for you. If you would like to talk in person, please let me know. Again, thanks for reaching out. Pastor Rocky. the hardest email I've ever had to send. The scribes and Pharisees were all about truth. They, they knew the living God. They just didn't understand his heart. The difference with Jesus is that Jesus is about truth and grace. I don't have to agree with your lifestyle in order for me to have communion with you. I don't have to agree with everything that you say that your life is built upon in order for me to want to be around you and to talk with you. And, and that's just one email. There are so many other things, so many other subjects that we don't have time to get into that the religious mindset is already just determined you're bound for hell and we don't have time for you. The parable of the lost coin is aimed at the church. 
at the religious. And it tells us that your reputation is on the line. And if we don't learn how to deal with that, then we are condemning a world to hell and we just don't have time for them at all. God, teach us to love like Jesus loved and to talk like Jesus talked. God, teach us to use wisdom with our words. God, teach us to love with the heart of Christ. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.